Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Now, of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related. From interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and everything in between, Morbidly Beautiful has it all. Now, it has been a little while since my last episode, and that's going to happen from time to time. I get busy, I spend time researching different subjects, like today's, for example. About a month or two ago now, uh, I had a listener email me, asking me my thoughts on the astral plane, and I'm going to assume that means astral projection and all that sort of fun stuff as well. And I didn't know where to start, so I just went online, and there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of research done on this topic. So I've pulled a few different sources, and I think I've got enough for an episode. I probably have enough for 15 episodes, so we're going to narrow it down into a nice little 20-minute explanation as to what astral planes and astral projections really are. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. The simplest form I can really give you on just what astral planes and astral realms or worlds really are is that they are postulated by classical, medieval, oriental, and esoteric philosophies, as well as certain cults around the world. In the world of celestial spheres, which is a whole other episode in and of itself, but basically the motion of planets and uh, that sort of stuff. Wow. Don't I sound super smart today? That sort of stuff. Anyway, in this world of celestial spheres, crossed by the soul in its astral body on the way to being born and after death, it is generally believed to be populated by angels, spirits, or other immaterial beings. Of course, with beliefs like this, there are other views around the world, and one of those views holds that the astral plane or world, rather than being some kind of boundary or area crossed by the soul, is the entirety of spirit existence or spirit worlds to which those who die on earth go and to live out their non-physical lives. Many believe that all consciousness also lives in the astral plane. Some people also compare this realm with heaven or paradise or a union with God or a God itself. Meanwhile, others do not. Paramahansa Yogananda wrote in the autobiography of a yogi, quote, The astral universe is hundreds of times bigger than the material universe. Many astral planets teeming with astral beings. Meanwhile, Alice Bailey writes of seeing, quote, masters upon inner spiritual planes who work with Christ and the planetary hierarchy, end quote. She also refers to a vision she had of the unseen astral realm that these and countless other beings inhabit. Christ lives in that realm, apparently. Naturally, the Greeks were some of the first to touch on this as well. Plato and Aristotle taught that the stars were composed of a type of matter different from the four earthly elements, a fifth ethereal element, or quintessence. In the astral mysticism of the classical world, the human psyche was composed of the same material thus accounting for the influence of the stars upon humans' affairs. In his commentaries on Plato's Timaeus, Proculus wrote, 
Quote, man is a little world or a microscosmos. For just like the whole with a capital W, he possesses both mind and reason, both a divine and mortal body. He is also divided up according to the universe. It is for this reason you know that some are accustomed to stay in his consciousness corresponds with the nature of the fixed stars. His reason in his contemplative aspect of Saturn and in its social aspects with Jupiter, as to his irrational part, the passionate nature with Mars, the eloquent with Mercury, the appetitive with Venus, and the sensitive with the sun, and the vegetative with the moon. I'm trying to break that down in my head as to what that actually means, and I think it just means people can associate their personalities and personality traits with different planets, the celestial bodies, as you will. It is important to note that this sort of cosmology, if you want to call it that, did have an influence throughout the Roman Empire and influenced early Christian churches as well. Paul's second apostle to the Corinthians contains a reference to the astral plane and astral projection, saying, quote, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, end quote. Of course, the Muslims also have their own views on this as well, and the astral worldview was soon rendered orthodox by Quranic references to the prophet's ascent through the seven heavens. Scholars took up the Greek Neo-Platonist accounts as well as similar materials in Hindu and Zoroasterian texts. The expositions of Ibn Sina, and I do apologize if I butchered that, the Brotherhood of Purity and others were translated into Latin, into the Norman era, and they were to have a profound effect upon European medieval alchemy and astrology. By the 14th century, Dante was describing his own imaginary journey through the astral spheres of paradise. Now, unless I'm mistaken, and I could very well be, I looked at necromancy a long time ago, two, three, maybe even four years ago now, and if I remember again correctly, astral projection played a role in that. In order to meet the angel of death, one had to have an out-of-body experience or astrally project themselves. And that shows up a lot in occult teachings as well. And the astral plane can be visited consciously through astral projection, meditation and mantra, near-death experiences, lucid dreaming, or well, simply other means. It seems to be individualized, and whatever works for you works for you. There are individuals that are trained in the use of astral projection and astral vehicle use, and can separate their consciousness in the astral vehicle from the physical body at will. The astral vehicle being just that, the physical body. The first stage in development, according to Ramachakara, is a mastery of the physical body, and its care and attention. Essentially, your body's a temple, treat it well, and you can find yourself. For it is my understanding that an unhealthy body or an uncared-for body carries over into, well, the astral aspect of that as well. People must also spend time tuning their instinctive mind. The first three subdivisions of the instinctive mind are passions, desires, and lusts. So, like the deadly sins, essentially. The second stage is intellect, otherwise known as sharpening of the mind. 
Someone operating largely out of the instinctive mind would have only a glimmering of intellect. Therefore, those who are centered in the intellect would only have an inkling of the spiritual aspect of the mind. Once both stages are completed and the spiritual mind can be awakened. So, like I said, there is a lot of research done on this. It's been around forever and science really wants to understand what an out-of-body experience is like. Or, you know, astral projection. Is it real? Is it something tangible to a degree that can be studied or is it just a spiritual belief? Now, when I was in university, I do remember looking at a study about people who pray and meditate regularly and what it does to their mind. They had people pray or meditate inside of an MRI machine, which doesn't sound super comfortable, but they were able to get some brainwave activity regardless. And it showed that there was a sense of euphoria, something that has never really been achieved by any other aspect of any human stimulus before. There was this thing that fired in the brain, and I don't remember what it was now because it was a long time ago that I looked at this, but I just remember thinking it was very interesting. So they did the same sort of thing with out-of-body experiences, and Healthline.com has an interesting description of what it's like, what it means, and all that kind of fun stuff. So I'm going to go over that with you very quickly. So what does an out-of-body experience feel like? They also refer to an out-of-body experience as OBE, just to shorten it up a little bit. They say it's hard to nail down what an OBE feels like exactly. According to accounts from people who've experienced them, they generally involve a feeling of floating outside of your body, an altered perception of the world, such as looking down from a height, the feeling that you're looking down at yourself from above, a sense that what's happening is very real. Now, OBEs typically happen without warning and usually don't last very long. If you have a neurological condition such as epilepsy, you may be more likely to experience OBEs and that they may be more frequent. But for many people, an OBE will happen very rarely, maybe once in a lifetime. Some estimates suggest that 5% of people who have experienced this sensation associated with OBE, though some suggest this number is higher. Again, hard to pin down. It is very possible that somebody has an out-of-body experience but doesn't really believe in that. So, they just write it off as a dream or uh, they hit their head, a hallucination, something along those lines. But other people might experience it differently. Some people might have something that is not even remotely close to an out-of-body experience or astral projection, but they believe in it so much that they think, yeah, that must be it. Now, there is an actual section here called, Is it the same thing as astral projection? Are OBEs, out-of-body experiences, the same thing as astral projection? And most people just kind of interchange them, apparently. But there are some key differences between the two. Whereas out-of-body experiences are unplanned, such as a near-death experience, astral projection usually involves the intentional effort to send your consciousness away from your body. It usually refers to your consciousness traveling out of your body towards a spiritual plane or a dimension. So they're sort of the same thing, except one's intentional, one's not. And based on your belief system, it could have different results. Somebody could be an astral projectionist and have an out-of-body experience because of a seizure, a stroke, near-death experience, whatever the case might be. And they can also willingly do it. And they may have two very different experiences. Or they could be very similar. I don't know. I want to talk to somebody. 
who's had an out-of-body experience or who claims that they can project their consciousness to a different plane. If you or somebody you know has had this experience, absolutely let me know. So now here's the very interesting part of it. Does anything happen to your body physically when you have an OBE or when you send yourself away from your body, such as astral projection? There is some debate over whether the sensations and perceptions associated with OBEs happen physically or are more of a hallucinatory experience. In a study in 2014, they tried to explore this by looking at cognitive awareness in 101 people who survived cardiac arrests. The authors found that 13% of the participants felt a separation from their body during resuscitation, but only 7% reported an awareness of the events they wouldn't have seen from their actual perspective. So I'd imagine it'd be like watching yourself in a movie. You know what's happening, you know what's going on, but you can't really change the outcome, no matter how hard you might yell at the screen, or your dying body in this case. In addition to the 13% and the 7% who reported something, in addition to participants reported having both visual and auditory experiences while in cardiac arrest. Only one was well enough to follow up, but gave an accurate, detailed description of what took place for about three minutes of his resuscitation from the cardiac arrest. There is still no scientific evidence to support the idea that a person's consciousness can actually travel outside the body. And that is the key word there. No scientific evidence. Not really a word, it's a phrase, but you get the idea. I consider myself a bit of a skeptic on everything, but I'm very open-minded and want to believe everything. Ghosts, Bigfoot, cryptids in general, astral projection. Now, there's never really been any scientific evidence for any of these, and anything that has been reported is usually just blown away as hogwash, fake, hoaxes, or just coincidence. Since there is no measurement for this in science, it's hard to get a scientific finding. At least those are my thoughts on it. We can measure the pH balance in water or whatever, because we have a measuring stick for that. But how do you measure a ghost? Well, sure, something rolls off the table, but was it a slight tremor in the ground that caused the ball to roll off or the bottle to fall over, or was it a ghost? We don't have a measuring stick. There's no pH meter for ghosts. There's no pH meter for astral projection. It is a very individual experience. And your brain is like a big complex computer with a bunch of shit going on and you can make yourself believe anything and it can trick you into believing anything. So I'm on the fence about astral projection and a lot of these things in general, but you know, I want to believe that somebody can do this. I've seen too many movies that suggest this can happen to not believe it a little bit at least. Now speaking of things rolling off shelves, the study we were just talking about did try to test this by placing images on shelves that can only be seen from a higher vantage point. But the majority of the cardiac arrests, including the event involving the participant who had specific memories of his resuscitation, took place in rooms without the shelves. Obviously, because you can't really plan a cardiac arrest. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but why would anybody volunteer to do that? That sounds fucking terrible just to see if you can see a square on the shelf above you. This is very Ghostbusters-y with the whole thing at the beginning with the cards. I believe that's what they're trying to do. 
it was more of a psychic test, but I mean, you could make a an argument for astral projection as well. Now, there is one specific thing that can cause OBEs, other than, you know, obviously a life-threatening situation or a near-death experience, but that is trauma or stress. A frightening, dangerous, or difficult situation can provoke a fear response, which might cause you to disassociate from the situation and feel as if you are an onlooker, as if you're watching the events taking place from somewhere outside your body, like the movie thing we were talking about. According to a 2017 research project reviewing the experience of women in labor, OBEs during childbirth aren't unusual, as that is all of the above. It is a frightening, dangerous, and difficult situation to find yourself in. That one research study did kind of suggest that OBEs could occur as a way to cope with trauma, but there isn't much other research on that sort of link, and it makes sense. You hear it all the time with people who suffered abuse, especially as children. They would replay something in their head that they enjoyed during the beatings or the assaults or whatever their trauma was. They replay a funny movie. They think about a time with their friends to escape the situation. Sure, they're being whatever. I don't want to get into the details of child abuse because that's terrible, but they find a way to escape, and their brains generally aren't developed enough to do this consciously, so this is a brain response to help them escape the situation and have maybe an out-of-body experience. Maybe that makes them more sensitive to astral projection as well later on in life. Other medical reasons for out-of-body experiences are epilepsy, migraines, brain injuries, depression, anxiety, and Julien Baer syndrome. Some people with disassociative disorders can experience something like this as well, as if they are living inside another body or experiencing their body doing things that they aren't doing themselves, like a loss of control, so to speak. Uh, sleep paralysis can also play a role in this, where you are frozen in bed. Sleep paralysis to me sounds like the most terrifying thing on the fucking planet. I don't ever want to experience it. When I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I see a shadow on the wall, I immediately think, Satan is here to eat my asshole. So I couldn't imagine actually experiencing that, which is what a lot of people who have sleep paralysis kind of describe. Maybe not the asshole-eating part, but, you know, some sort of monster or demon or weight on their chest or some sort of terrifying entity that they cannot get away from. Lastly, do out-of-body experiences have any health risks? Well, there aren't a whole lot of research studies done on that, but nobody's really connected any spontaneous OBEs to any serious health risks, unless you have a pre-existing one which caused the OBE to begin with. However, some people who have had spontaneous OBEs have described a feeling of unwellness or lingering feelings or emotional distress as well. And confusion, naturally. If you just left your body and started wandering around different universes and dimensions, and then you're snapped back into it, you might feel a little funky as well. But that's just me. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. And I've never had an OBE, so there you go. Now, there is one other study that I'm not going to get into, but if you want to read it yourself, the Frontiers in Human Neuroscience did a very, very long research article on this very thing. And they used an fMRI. So that's exciting. Like I said, you can scan people all day and get some very interesting results. 
You never know what you're going to find inside a person, especially when they're having some sort of out-of-body experience or projection. But yes, it was done in 2014. It is very long, so I'm not going to go over it. Like I said, this would be like 17 episodes if I went over this study. So what do you think? Do you think out-of-body experiences and astral planes exist? Have you ever had one? Have you ever known anybody who's had one? Let me know on Facebook or shoot me an email or hit me up on any social media, whatever that might be. But that's going to do it for us today. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or I think you can even do so on Facebook. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the show, so it's a great way to get a shout-out if that's something you're looking for. If not, it just makes me feel really, really good about what I'm doing here. Also, follow along on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd, as in production, on Facebook at HorrorShots, or on Instagram, which I never use anymore, but, you know, you can still catch me there sometimes, and that's at Pod. So, until next time, I hope you enjoyed this episode.